0: Well, we got our cold weather back for our hot topics. A couple weeks ago when I was up here, it was like 60 degrees out, but winter has returned. So we can dive right into another hot topic for cold weather. And God has given us his word to look at this morning. So let's do that together. Acts chapter 4, we'll read verses 8 through 12. Acts chapter 4 starting with verse 8 and as always I invite you to bring your Bible with you if you have one if you don't have one I'm happy to help you find one that works for you and uh, or you can just steal one of our pew Bibles really we want you to have a Bible so uh, Acts 4 starting with verse 8 then Peter that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And over to uh, the next book, Romans. Romans chapter 4. We'll read verses 1 through 3, and this time I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, which is a little bit different than your pew Bibles. So Romans 4, 1 through 3. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Friends, this is God's word for us today. Thank you, God. Thank you that you care enough about us to continue speaking to us we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and be our teacher today. Open our hearts, open our ears. Let us hear your voice. Amen. One of the biggest mistakes we make, Oprah Winfrey said, is to believe there is only one way. She said, There are many diverse paths leading to God. That's a really burning question in our time, isn't it? One of the great questions of our day. We have more and more contact with people from other religions, uh, whether it's over TV or Internet or just neighbors, friends, colleagues, um, classmates. Um, Our country is really wrestling right now with, with religious diversity on a policy level and we wonder as christians what do we do with this question of other religions what what does our faith say that might help us sort through these questions what about other religions are uh, specifically are they are they all essentially the same underneath You hear often what Oprah was getting at there, that there are many diverse paths, but they all lead to God. You've probably all heard that parable that comes out of India about the blind men and the elephant, how there are a group of of blind men who come upon an elephant and they're all feeling different parts of the elephant and trying to describe to the others what this thing called an elephant is. The one who grabs the, the, the tail says, oh, the, a, an elephant is like a rope. And one who grabs the leg feels that and says, oh, an elephant is like a tree. Another feels the side of the elephant and says, oh, an elephant is like a, a, a wall. And finally, one grabs the trunk and says, no, no, an elephant is like a tree branch. And the point of the, the parable is that, that they're all feeling different parts, but it's all the same unified elef- ele- elephant. That they all see things differently, but it's really all the same thing. And that's a very common idea about um, all religions, that they're all essentially the same underneath just different paths to the same place. So what do we do with that idea It's really it's an attractive thing to believe in some ways because after all religious differences create conflict and danger don't they it seems like the world we live in would have less conflict if if religions didn't fight each other and while it's true that atheist ideology has caused way more war and death in the last 100 years than religious ideology if you take into consideration the Soviet Union and China and North Korea and the vast numbers of people who have been killed in service of those ideologies and if you take it's true also that that often conflicts that are labeled as religious conflicts in our world are really more about politics and power and the religion label just gets slapped on there. Even if you take all that into account, it's also true that the world would be a more peaceful place if people who disagreed over religion weren't killing each other. So we wonder sometimes, wouldn't it be helpful if we could really promote this idea that that all religions are the same and, and it might help world peace, right? It's an attractive idea. And we live in a time when relativism is a respected or maybe the only respected intellectual approach to the world. You hear very often statements like this. You need to believe what's right for you. What's true for you may not be true for me. And maybe most of all, never prevent anyone from following their own truth. That's a very highly valued thing in our um, yeah, a highly valued idea in our culture, isn't it, that that we each have our own truth and that we need to be free to search for it and not prevent other people from searching for theirs. People today tend to believe that these matters of ultimate reality, like like what's right and wrong or or religious matters, that those are best left to personal opinion rather than an objective reality that could be proven true or not true our culture is suspicious of any any person or any group who says they have the whole truth it come it sounds offensive or or arrogant and in that world that we live in we have the christian faith and we wonder how does this all fit together what is how can our faith help us navigate these Questions, these deep questions, and particularly this question of what do we think about other religions? How are we supposed to approach them or think about them? Or for that matter, people with no religion? Or to put a finer point on the question, is Jesus the only way to God? In this world of many people and religions, is Jesus. The only way to God? How do we answer that question? Well, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we look to Scripture as our primary source of truth because we believe the Bible is reliable, that it's proven itself to be reliable as it teaches us who God is and who humans are and what's the relationship between God and humans, that we can trust the scriptures to give us a reliable and true view of reality. So as we start to wrestle with this uncomfortable question, we start with the first and foremost thing that the Bible teaches us. And that is this. God is love. God is love. And that's really... An important place to start this discussion. The scripture tells us that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't die but will have eternal life. That's John 3.16. The next verse goes on to say, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God's intention for this world is good. It's salvation. Zephaniah 317 describes God like this. The Lord your God is with you, a mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that a great image? That God rejoices over each person in this world with singing. He loves each and every person he's made. He loves you. Maybe that is the word you need to hear today. He loves you personally. You, of all the people in the world, he loves you. Have you ever heard it said that if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it? He loves you. It's personal, but it's not just personal. It's global. God loves Everyone. Maybe that's the word you need to hear this morning. God loves everyone. The great theologian Karl Barth, he was probably the the most important theologian of the 20th century. He wrote volumes and volumes of theology. And on his one visit to America in 1962... He was being interviewed and someone asked him how he would summarize the millions and millions of words that he had written about theology how could what would he say was the essence of his theology and he stopped and thought and said this Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so that is the Foundation that we have to start with. Pastor Bill said the same thing last Sunday when he was talking about a different topic. And it's true that it's so important for us to start all of these discussions with a deep understanding that they come from a place of God's great love. How great, how great is the love, 1 John says, that the Father has lavished on us that we could be called children of God. And that is what we are. We worry. See, it's important that we know that this starts with love, that God is love, that God can be trusted, because we worry that maybe we love people more than God does. I mean, it sounds ridiculous when you say it like that, but we worry in this discussion that maybe God won't be fair to other people. If we say Jesus is the only way to God, what does that mean for others? who reject Jesus, or who have never heard. We worry that maybe God won't give them a fair shake. But, you know, love and fairness come from God. Our love and our sense of justice is just a pale shadow of God's. We don't need to worry that God will not be loving or that God will not be fair. And we do not need to worry that perhaps we love the world more than God does. His love is far, far beyond ours. And the flip side of that, God's love, is true too, because God loves others so much, we must love others as well. We don't look at this issue of what about other religions with sort of cold detachment but with hearts full of love and concern for all others. So, what does the Bible say? Is Jesus the only way to God? Is there a way to read Scripture that would legitimately come to the conclusion that there are many roads and they all lead to God, some of which include Jesus and some of which don't? The the New Testament speaks... One very consistent message from beginning to end when it asks this question, is Jesus the only way to God? The answer that the New Testament gives is an emphatic yes. Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me in this passage in Acts 4 that we read, they're in the middle of a controversy. James and, and uh, I mean, Peter and John have have um, prayed over someone who was, lame and he was healed and now the religious leaders the temple teachers want to know what's going on and how he was healed and they're kind of getting them all in trouble for this and so Peter stands up and and preaches this sort of sermon to them it's one of the earliest sermons that we have um, after the Christian church was born and here in Acts 4 he says you want to know uh how this man who couldn't walk is now up walking around and, and uh, leaping around and jumping, how he was healed. He says this, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he also adds here, whom you crucified, just in case, you know, he's sticking it to them a little, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that's the whole good news there, that this man stands before you. And Peter goes on, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. No other name given to all of humankind. That is the name that God has given us. That is the, the path God has given us. Jesus is the way to salvation, he's saying. And the rest of the New Testament is in agreement with this. Paul says later in uh, 1 Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humankind, the man Jesus Christ. So let's explore that a little more deeply. In what way is Jesus the only way to God? If scripture says Jesus is the only way to God, what does it mean by that? Well, the good news is, that we believe is that Jesus made a way for us to be forgiven, made a way for human beings to be saved. Jesus brings salvation. He bridges that divide between God and human beings, that divide of sin that came into the world at the fall. Salvation is found in no one else, Peter says, because only Jesus has provided A way for our sins to be forgiven. Only Jesus died our death, was raised for our sake, and defeated death on our behalf. And so has provided that bridge to reconcile us to God. And we all need what Jesus did for us. All human beings, all of us need a way to be forgiven and free. We're all separated from God John Stott says all divine judgment seems and sounds unjust until we see God as he is and ourselves as we are. How Jesus' sacrifice makes it possible for people to be forgiven is a big topic and we'll save that whole discussion for another day. But that's essentially the good news that the Bible teaches, that we don't have to be stuck in our regrets and our sins and our separation from God, but that Jesus has made a way and his spirit comes and lives in us and we can be made new and made more like him day by day. There's just no way to read Jesus out of that equation. That is the good news that scripture teaches. Jesus is the center of it. Well, you may hear people argue sometimes yes, that is the Christian message. That's how Christians are saved, but there are others who can be saved in other ways. Have you ever heard that argument? That this is our way of being saved, but other people have other ways of being saved. Let me tell you, the Bible does not teach that at all. I just want to be clear. That is not the scriptural picture of reality. I'm going to read you this little passage from Colossians. And while I read, I just invite you to close your eyes. Don't fall asleep. Just close your eyes for a minute and just listen. I can listen better when I close my eyes sometimes. And listen for the words all, everything, every, above. Just listen for the picture that Paul is creating here of Jesus. This is Colossians 1. There is a lot of all and everything and everyone included in that passage. You can wake up now if you've been sleeping. Uh, You don't get a picture here of Jesus being a path for a certain slice of people. Paul is making it abundantly clear here that this is for all of creation. That Jesus' role that's being described here. Is not even just for humans. It's for the earth and the heavens and everything. Philippians 2 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We sang that several times this morning. The Bible elevates Jesus lifts him up as Lord of all, all people, all places, all creation, and that every knee will eventually bow before him, happily or not, willingly or not, and recognize him as the Lord. He is a savior for everyone. As D.T. Niles, who was a, a missionary to India and then became a bishop in India, said, Jesus Christ is not a value that we can negotiate, nor is he a preference that we can reject. He is the truth, and the truth cannot be changed. So, what does this mean for how we approach and interact with other religions? Well, first of all, the fact that Jesus is the only way to God does not mean that we write off all other religions as completely false or wrong or evil. They're incomplete, maybe misguided, but we see God in little bits at work, in all of them. And we see that there are things to learn from them. This is because God is at work in all people. His grace is shared with people before they even know it. We Methodists call that prevenient grace or preparing grace, grace that goes ahead of us before we even know it. Back about 20 years ago, Bill and I got to spend uh, seven weeks backpacking on the Appalachian Trail. And after a couple weeks... I got hungry, and I mean really hungry. After a few weeks of backpacking, you cannot carry enough food to feed yourself, because food is heavy, and you're burning all these calories, so all day long, all I would think about as we went up and down those hills was, what can I eat? <laughs> what do I have in my backpack that I can eat the next time we stop? And I was so hungry all the time. I remember hiking down off a mountain, where it, down to where it crossed a road in a little valley, and... Phil and I stopping there and debating, should we hitchhike down the rest of the way into a town and get some food, or should we keep going? And we decided, oh, we don't have time. We need to keep going. So we crossed the road and started our way back up into the woods and came across a little sign that said, "For Hikers. And someone had left a bag there with snacks in it, Pop-Tarts. And soda, sugar, someone I didn't even know had put that there before I got there just to be wonderful, just as a gift. God does that in our lives, in everyone's life, all the time. And when, once we come to know him, we look back and we say, oh, oh, that was God at work and I didn't even know who he was yet. I don't even understand that yet. God is always sending his prevenient grace, his preparing grace out to people. And God is revealing himself to people, preparing them to be reconciled to him. Creation itself does this. The heavens declare the glory of God. So people all over the world in the farthest parts of the world. People who've never even heard the name of Jesus can see God in creation. Sir Isaac Newton once said, in the absence of any other proof, the thumb alone would convince me of God's existence. The heavens declare the glory of God. God also reveals himself to people in the conscience that he has built into each of us. That's part of being made in the image of God, that we have a conscience, all people do. That's why the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you, is part of almost every religion from Confucius onward. It's because of that conscience that God has built into us. He also has built into every human heart A hunger for God Ecclesiastes says God has set eternity in the human heart there's something within every human being that drives us to search for God Augustine said our hearts are restless until they find rest in God so we don't have to see all other religions as completely evil or false there are whispers of God in them if we look and see and we can learn things from them. The Bible does regard some other religions as evil, especially the ones that were involved in child sacrifice. God said he hates those religions. The Bible regards other religions as misguided or foolish or maybe incomplete. Others, especially Judaism, as a preparation for The gospel of Jesus Christ so we can learn from others and this is really important we always want to treat people of other religions or no religion with love and respect we want to learn from them they are made in the image of God too they are loved by God so we never want to treat others in other religions with fear or hatred we want to do to them as we would have them do to us. But it's also not logical to treat all religions as the same, to, to, to regard them the way Oprah was suggesting that all lead to the same goal. It's not logical to say that conflicting um, claims can all be true. Some religions don't even believe in God And you can hardly claim that a religion that denies the existence of God leads to God. It just doesn't make sense. The New Testament never says that all religions lead to God. In fact, Jesus himself describes a judgment day when there will be separation into two opposite but equally eternal destinies, the sheep and the goats. So the Bible does not teach that all will somehow lead into the same place unintentionally so if jesus is the way the truth and the life if jesus says that no one comes to god except through him what do we say about people who have never heard this is a hard question isn't it what do we say about people who've never heard about jesus what about all those who've never had the opportunity, are they going to suffer an eternal separation from God in hell? And wouldn't that be unjust? We worry about that, don't we? Nicky Gumbel, in his book, Searching Issues, gives us four helpful things to process as we think about this question. The first is that the Bible is a practical book, not a philosophical book. It doesn't answer our hypothetical questions directly as much as we wish that it would. The second thing is this, that we can be sure God will be just. I touched on this earlier. God created justice. It comes from him. So worrying that God will not be just is like worrying that the sun won't create light. It will. That's what suns do. They burn, they create light, and God Himself is just. So we don't have to worry about that. And God allows for our free will. There's, there's a difference between people who have, who have never heard and never had the chance to accept or reject Jesus. And then there's the whole situation of people who have heard, which is, you know, most people in our country have had the opportunity to at least be introduced to Jesus, but who have rejected him. And God, in his wisdom, allows for our free will. Dallas Willard has said, I'm quite sure God will let everybody into heaven that can possibly stand it. He allows for our free will. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, which is a wonderful book, by the way, if you haven't read it, it's not about divorce, actually, it's about the divide between heaven and hell. It's a fiction story. He says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end, those that say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. So God allows for our free will. And thirdly, uh, we know that no one will be saved by their religious behavior. No one can earn their way into heaven. None of us can do that. Instead, we'll be saved by God's love through faith in Jesus Christ. And we accept that gift by faith. The fourth thing that Nikki Gumbel says is this. It's at least possible to be saved by grace through faith, even if someone has never heard of Jesus. Romans four one that we read earlier says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. What makes this possible is that Jesus' death on the cross is effective for those who lived before as well as after Jesus. Nikki Gumbel says, Abraham and David were forgiven because of what Jesus was to do for them on the cross. They did not have the advantage we have of knowing how it is possible to be forgiven another great christian thinker of the 20th century was john stott he was a, a deeply warm-hearted christian a solid evangelical and so wise and uh, about Um, understanding the things of God. He's written lots and lots of books. I posted a lecture from him, by the way, on our church website. We've been posting resources for you for all these hot topics. Um, If you go on our church website and go under resources, is that right, Brandon? Resources? That's, yeah, he's giving me the Media. media, media, then resources. You'll find for all these topics a list of of books and some videos, and um, this one's an audio lecture that he gave at Harvard a number of years ago. If you really want to dig into this topic um, with someone way more with me, more brain power than I have, um, anyway, he is considering this whole topic. What do we do about people who have never heard the, the gospel? He says, This I believe the most Christian stance is to remain agnostic on this question. And by that, he means to leave it in the hands of God, leave the door of mystery a little bit open and recognize that the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is the only way. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus, that God is loving and just, and that God will know the right thing to do about those who have never heard And we don't quite understand how that all is going to work. That's what he means by agnostic. When somebody asked Jesus, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? See, they were worrying about that even in Jesus' day. One of his disciples asked, asked him that. Jesus refused to answer and instead urged them to enter through the narrow door. That's in Luke chapter 13. And the fact is that God, alongside the most solemn warnings about our responsibility to respond to the gospel, he's not revealed how he will deal with those who never heard it. So we leave that question in God's hands. And we know that Abraham's question in Genesis 18, will not the judge of the earth do right that? that's our confidence as well. We know God will do the right thing. So what should we do? Should we just say, well, hey, we're off the hook. God knows we don't have to share the gospel because God will take care of it. Not at all. Not at all. Jesus commanded us to go into all the world and share the good news, to, to teach others about who Jesus is. He commanded us to do that. It's a matter of life and death for eternity. And it's also a matter of life and death here in this life because we want people to know the abundant life that Jesus has to offer now in their lives. James Edwards says this, the church has never been briefed on a plan B of salvation. Let the church preach with fervency the one way it knows for certain that there is salvation in no other name than the name of Jesus. And we tell others this good news not with arrogance, but with humility not with a sense of, well, we've got it figured out. I hope you all can get on board. But know that we have found, by God's grace, not through any goodness of our own, we've been given this good news, and we want to share it with others. We don't lift up ourselves when we share that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. We lift up God. We lift up Jesus, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is available to everyone. D.T. Niles, that bishop in, in uh, India that I mentioned earlier, once said this, sharing the good news, evangelism, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We've been given the bread of life. Let's not keep it to ourselves. Let's let others find that life, experience the life of Jesus, and let that be our burning passion to lift him up. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are so grateful that you have made a way And we don't want to keep that good news to ourselves. There may be some here who really need to feed on that good news for themselves, to take that in, to to let you forgive them and become Lord of their lives. And if that's the case, Lord, I pray that today would be the day. May we all give ourselves to you in a new and fresh way. And may you be lifted up. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your great wisdom that we can trust this world in your arms. In Jesus' name, amen.